Hey, everybody. It's Weird Islanders, the podcast, back once again. My name is Dan. That is Mike. How are you tonight, Mike? I am wonderful, Dan, because uh, we are recording this on the opening night of the new NHL season. And yes. breaking news, Connor Bedard took warm-ups without a helmet on, and uh, everybody now gets 50% off at Tim Hortons tomorrow or something <laughs> because Canada is is losing its mind yeah. that this guy... Uh, yeah. Did something so so cool and hip to grow the game. Yeah, this will this will definitely be on postage stamps later on and uh, a new holiday is formed. You don't see that every day. So, uh yeah, it's exciting. Actual hockey is on now and uh we are here to talk about uh Islanders of the past as our favorite thing to do is and we're here with one of our all-time favorites. I don't even need to introduce this man. You know him. You love him. We love him. He's our good friend, Arthur Staple of the Athletic. And right now, as of this recording, you are actually back on the Islanders beat. How exciting is that for you? I think it's appropriate, guys, <laughs> that you're talking about old, weird Islanders because now you have an old, weird Islander beat writer <laughs> to go along with it. So it's, per- it's a uh, perfect match at this point. I guess so, yeah. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think of what player you are who, who, who went, <laughs> went away and then came, came back. Uh, Claw the uh, point, a little... Yeah, Claude the point. Yeah, blue, <laughs> yeah. blue guy played a yeah, lot. Yeah, Kip grains. Miller. We, we, yeah, we've had we, zero we've, impact. Yeah, that's <laughs> probably, that's probably me. I, yeah, I think Kip Miller works because you 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 did Newsday and, and then the Athletic at the Islanders, and now you're back with them again for a third stint. So yeah, uh, there you go. I was gonna say Matt Martin because you yes, you yeah, went you went to Matt another Martin. team and was like, oh no, this is this isn't good, and then you came back. Uh, but uh, fought, I mean, fought how, with a lot of people at the other team. Now. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, I mean, how does it feel to be back in that locker room? I'm sure the players were like, do we know you? Like that kind of thing. Or, uh... I have to say, thanks to uh, Lou Lamarillo's commitment to consistency, it was a very familiar homecoming because <laughs> I know about 90% of the guys right. on the team. Uh, so there was a lot of, you know, the Spider-Man meme type stuff yeah. pointing like, you're still here? And it's like, what are yeah. you doing here? So uh, it is nice. And I think... You know, the Rangers, obviously, a little bit more media, a little bit more corporate in how they handle their situations. And even in the Lou Lamarillo era, um, it still always feels like uh, a little bit more like home, you know, knowing everybody from equipment guys to trainers to front office, uh, you know, assistants and, yeah. and people who answer the phones. It's it's just it's a nice environment if you've been around it a lot. You know, the, the Islanders have gone through. A lot of a lot of weirdness uh, in my decade <laughs> or so of covering them, but uh, but it's still nice to to see people you know well and and um, you know people who you saw start as interns and get married and get into big jobs and stuff like that. So it's uh, it's fun. It's always fun to be there. Cool, very cool. Uh, a couple of days before the season started, uh, you posted your predictions on Twitter as you always do, and uh, you actually had the Islanders and Leafs hooking up in the first round of the playoffs. So my question to you, two questions, one, why would you do that? And two, what the hell is wrong with you? Why would you, why would you write that? Oh, my God. Dan, you've been a journalist for a long time. You know, <laughs> root for chaos is yeah. written, is written over the the door to the, to the locker room of every beat writer. Yes. So that um, is true. I didn't think I could, I could wrangle a Rangers Islanders first round. Cause I don't <laughs> think either of them would be good enough to do that. So this mm-hmm. was my next best. Yeah. choice and uh yeah i think that would be amazing uh you know to see <laughs> a playoff game at ubs with john Tavares mm-hmm. in a visiting uniform and yeah. um 
you know, just the, just the, like, even if the Islanders lose, I don't think the fans would care. It would just be so as almost as cathartic as his homecoming a few years ago was for Islander fans. Um, I think I'd have to, you know, we'd all have to bring bail money for Leboff because yeah. I, don't know, I don't know if he'd get out of there without, no. without well, something bad happening. Well, but, I, I uh, will decamp for Europe if that happens. So uh, you're on your own. I'm not going to be here. Get, get it from someplace else. <laughs> that would be bad. Uh, but, but that is a perfect segue that you, that you did that to tonight's weird Islanders, because the guys that we're going to talk about, and it's going to be a couple of guys all came over in a trade uh, from the Maple Leafs before the whole Tavares thing happened. So we got a lot of guys to discuss. So let's get right into it. Arthur Staple, will you please reveal the subjects of tonight's episode of Weird Islanders, the podcast? It's the quintet of minor <laughs> leaguers that Garth Snow got from Michael Grabner. So I was mm-hmm. driving on the northern state away from training camp. Uh, got the call that Michael Grabner, who would come off a couple of down years after coming out great in his first couple of seasons as an Islander um, was traded to the Leafs for five minor leaguers. And when the names were recited off to me on the phone by the Islanders PR guy, Taylor Beck, goalie, Christopher Gibson, Matt Finn, Tom Nielsen, and the guy who's probably the best known now, but really was not then Carter Verhage. Uh, it sure seemed like, uh, the Islanders were just kind of getting some warm bodies and see if they could win, you know, win a lottery ticket with one of these five guys. And the answer was no, they did not win a lottery ticket with any of the five. But uh, it wasn't as crazy a trade as it seemed at the time because Grabner, like I said, had been a little bit in decline. He was hurt much of the previous year. Um, I think it was double hernia surgery that he had in the off season. Uh, so it was a wild one. You don't see a lot of five for ones and, right. uh, not, not like usually it's draft picks. That's, uh, that's the commodity, but Garth Snow went for bodies and, uh, they all had some time in the organization, uh, some slightly more successful than others, but it was a weird one. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. It, it felt like they, um, they were up to something. I, that was my first reaction to this trade was. Mm-hmm. Are the Islanders like committing a crime here? Are they like laundering? <laughs> are they laundering something? Like what's going on? Uh, and it feels like the Islanders, especially back then, they uh, they really operated on the fringes of the CBA. Yes. So I I think that this this was like a fifty contract limit thing. Help help the Leafs almost situation as well. Um, yes. Yeah. And, definitely. And, <laughs> and yeah, and that's that was Gar Snow's sweet spot was. Uh, <laughs> helping like like trying to get almost like get paid off by helping other teams out of like dicey situations uh like that and um it led to a, a kind of a, a reckoning for michael grabner's and uh, islander career which like you said was very there was a, a really 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 high high um and then it just sputtered out um because he, he was just awesome to watch in that that first rookie season yeah, and you know, obviously needing hernia surgery for a guy who's, you know, game was so inc- completely reliant on his speed. Um, you could certainly see the decline. Uh, you know, certainly that that incredibly disappointing thirteen fourteen year where he had almost no impact, and then fourteen fifteen when you know, as you, the three of us have discussed, either on a podcast or just in general, probably one of the most talented Islander teams of the last. 20 years that 14 15 team and grabner was was such a non-factor that year he clearly 
was laboring a little bit, um, kind of fell out of favor because they had some some new kids like Ryan Strom. Um, you know, it just uh, it was shocking to see because he seemed like he was, you know, especially in the in the surprise 2013 playoff run, he he had a decent impact in that in that series against the Penguins. So it was uh, it was a, it was not a great ending for him with the Islanders, and it was not a great season in Toronto for him. And you know, he kind of seemed a little bit, uh, you know, maybe that was it for him. Of course, uh, you know, a year or two later, he resurfaced with the Rangers and completely resurrected his career, which is probably not what a lot of people wanted to see or hear. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was, uh, and then, you know, kind of prolonged his career by about three or four years where he had, you know, some, he had the, the bad eye injury out in Arizona, but still managed to have somewhat of an impact there towards the end of his career. And, now he's out in Arizona uh, playing the role of elder statesman, doing a little development work with the Coyotes. I think Logan Cooley, their star rookie, is living with the Grabners. It's uh, <laughs> knowing knowing <laughs> Michael as 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 I did as a rookie or early on in his career, where he was, you know, his nickname was the Gremlin. He was yeah. uh, he was a high strung, nervous guy, kind of funny, a little bit awkward. Uh, maybe a little bit immature and now uh, thinking about him hosting a young kid in his house with his family. Uh, it's, uh, it's kind of a nice, a nice <laughs> bow to put on it. Um, and certainly that trade was maybe the low point of his time with the Islanders. Yeah. I think Islanders fans liked devils, Michael Grabner and coyotes, Michael Grabner, but not so much Rangers, Michael Grabner. No. <laughs> I remember being like, Oh, come on really with this guy. But yeah, there was a, there was a couple of, there was a time there was a space of time there. He just kind of disappeared. And then he just showed up all of a sudden. He's like, wait, this guy. But I guess that's what it took to get healthy. Uh, before we move on to the actual Weird Islanders, because Michael Grabner is not a Weird Islander. Before, before we move on to the other Weird Islanders here, a reminder that we are on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Islanders Anxiety. Plans start as low as two bucks a month. And you can get ad-free episodes of this show, plus bonus podcasts, uh, early access, written posts, all kinds of stuff. So sign up today. Patreon.com. Slash Islanders anxiety. So, like you said, uh, Grabner was traded for five guys, which is like almost an NBA type deal. You know, you expect like a Chris Paul or somebody to get traded for five guys. Most hockey players don't get traded for five guys. And uh, I found the video of, I guess, Leafs TV talking about this trade. And they seem to be of the mind that, oh my God, the Leafs gave up so much for Michael Grabner. <laughs> And you look at the names and you're like, really? This is too much? Was this really too much for this guy? <laughs> Michael Grabner from the New York Islanders will be coming over to the Toronto Maple Leafs just in time for training camp and a trip to Halifax as well. In exchange for forwards Taylor Beck, Carter Verhage, and defensemen Matt Finn and Tom Nielsen, and goaltender Christopher Gibson. That wow. is a whole lot going the other way. For Michael Grabner here, and there we take a look at uh, his numbers. And was that the feeling that maybe you had, or maybe people had at the time, which is sort of like, I mean, Mike said it seems like something is up. You thought that maybe there was just like a warm bodies for a you know guy who might have some upside. Was there a feeling that the Islanders had kind of fleeced the Leafs here, or was it ever? Was, is it just Leafs people talking about losing Leafs guys? You know, I think. I think part of it was helping the Leafs out of a 50 contract yeah. maximum jam uh, and, and their GM, of course, Lula Murillo, who's very tight sure. with Garth Snow. Um, <laughs> you know, the Leafs were kind of starting to emerge as a playoff team there with, 
with Matthews and, and Mitch Marner and, uh, you know, in a couple of years, John Tavares, but they, you know, they were a play, they, they became a playoff team around that time. Um, and, you know, I think for the Islanders, uh, one of Garth Snow's big things, whether you go all the way back to, uh, you know, the, the lockout shortened season with claiming a million guys on waivers, several of whom <laughs> played several hundred games for the Islanders, right. um, or just, you know, I think, I think being in that environment with, with Charles Wong as the owner and Garth understanding who his owner is and how they operate, it was just, let's get a fistful of Powerball tickets and we'll see if mm. we can win one. And yeah. You know, there was a goalie, there was a couple of forwards that were, you know, (laughs) at least one of them, you know, I think when you, when you look back at it, uh, you know, the guys that were, I'm trying to remember, I think the guys that they were the most intrigued by were Taylor Beck, who was, you know, a pretty high draft pick and and had just come off a a season in Nashville where he played 60 games and produced a little bit as a, as a bottom sixer, um, still a young guy, um, and Christopher Gibson, who, you know, was a, a, a pretty high Kings draft pick. He was essentially the number one goalie for the Toronto Marlies uh, the year before. Uh, but really not a lot of room there to to move up through the Leafs organization. But still also a young guy who had a decent amount of experience. And, you know, the Islanders had Yara Halak and they had Thomas Grice, but they didn't really have anybody that was coming up through the system yet. So um, those were kind of the two guys that you were focused on. And everybody else just kind of rounding it out and seeing if you could you could get, you know, you had Matt Finn, who had been a second round pick of the Leafs a few years yeah. earlier. So he's a minor leaguer. Tom Nilsson, who was still in Sweden and would never leave Sweden. But, um, <laughs> you know, and then Carter Verhage, who uh, was another decently high pick uh, who just hadn't seemed to pan out, really. He was kind of just starting his pro career at a really good last junior year, I believe, in Niagara in the Ontario League. Um, and just, you know, another guy who was a throw-in. And you think about a 40-goal scorer in the NHL now yeah. was a throw-in there. And obviously, that's the one that people fixate on. But we can talk right. more about him and how yeah. that wasn't really an, that wasn't really just an Islanders failing with him. No. But, um, but it really was, I think, Beck and Gibson were really the guys that you focused on and said, okay, these, yeah. you know, we got a guy that could play a fourth-line role and a guy who could eventually be a number two goalie for us. Then we're getting something, you know, with a guy in Grabner that they weren't going to bring back. It was last year of his contract. And, you know, they were kind of like, okay, it's something essentially for nothing because Grabner wasn't really in their plans even for that Mm. season. And I just trusted that one of them was going to click because it it did seem like snow. I mean, that 2013 season, like you mentioned, I don't like, I guess Joe Finley was the only one who like didn't really work out that, that they kind of brought in from from the scrap heap but right everybody everybody else like I, and i and i'm when i'm saying work out it's it's modest i'm talking about like modest success but like keith o'coin obviously was, was really good for them and i mean thomas uh, hickey was the big yeah the hickey big fish from that exactly hole, yeah. hickey's brian, still around brian Strait was a guy who yeah. didn't play a ton that season but right. played a pretty big role <laughs> he was on the ice <laughs> a lot when Sidney crosby was out there maybe not the best thing in the world no, but yeah right yeah and then he signed a, they, they didn't they wait they pick him up and like two days later they gave him the three-year deal or something with, yeah, with pretty much straight. Yeah. Uh, but because of that, that track record that snow had just finding these guys going back to like Pete, even PA Parento, uh, those, those kind of pickups. I just was like, Oh, he must see something in, 
Taylor Beck that the rest of the league doesn't. <laughs> and, and and this guy's going to just just wait until this guy scores 20 and mm-hmm. has like 14 assists for the Islanders uh, in this upcoming season. And uh, no, I can't believe he struck out here. Yeah. <laughs> well, like Art said, he had a good season with Nashville. 62 games, eight goals, eight assists uh, in 14, 15. All right. Those aren't great numbers, but they're like a, you know, for a good team member, Nashville was good back then. That was a bottom six role. He was able to chip in. That seems fine. Ended up getting traded uh, by Nashville uh, to the Leafs for Jamie Devane. And then he ends up in the Grabner trade. And yeah, I could see a little bit of upside there, but he eventually only played two games for the Islanders. Zero goals, zero assists, zero anything. Uh, Ironically, he would sign with the Rangers in 2017 or get traded to the Rangers, I should say, and have those same exact numbers, which is probably pretty rare. (laughs) You know, there's not a ton of guys who played for both teams and to have the same exact career quote unquote career numbers for both teams is probably even more rare, but uh, yeah, he got two games early and, and that was it. So, I mean, Art, you, you were there. What do you remember of the Taylor Beck era <laughs> of Islanders <laughs> hockey? Uh, you know, you know when it shows up. I think the, the, the hard part was that when that trade was made, like I said, um, you know, it, it was made the middle of September. So it was kind of, you know, first yeah. week of training camp, basically, you're not you're not going to be able to get a full evaluate evaluation of a guy, bringing him in and having him just kind of like jump right in and be like, all right, now you're going to make our team. Um, so I think that was part of the reason. It was just like let's let's see what we got down the road. You know, they had they they were coming off that 14 15 year. They had a pretty set top nine, top twelve. You know, you think about Nikolai Kuhlman had been playing some first line. Um, you know, they added guys like Steve Bernier. Uh, it, it was, they really were, they were a, a, kind of a complete team. Mikhail Grabowski wasn't, wasn't done as a player because of all the concussions. Hmm. Um, so I don't think they felt compelled to rush anybody. Yeah. You know, Beck was, how old was he? 23 that, that year. I, I think they felt like, all right, we, we can take our time with some of these guys. Um, you know, you think about, the guy that had the biggest impact that year was Christopher Gibson because yeah. his most his most memorable moment as an Islander was being a net for the playoff clincher yeah. uh, in Washington <laughs> that year. So, you know, he was a guy that that put up some decent numbers uh, in Bridgeport that year. I'm just you know looking it up. You know, nine oh nine save percentage, nineteen wins. Uh, you know, in Bridgeport, that's an amazing total, really. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> You know, and he would go on and, you know, the a couple of years after that, when the Islanders needed a goalie, he had a few nice, you know, nice nights. I remember the game that he played in Calgary in, in the 17-18 year when he made it was like 50-something saves for a win when the team was just kind of in that that 17-18 run of just not playing a lick of defense under Doug yeah. Waite. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and it didn't end up working out for him uh, in the NHL, but... Uh, he was, you know, he was serviceable and it just, it was, it was kind of appropriate that it was such a strange trade that, um, that none of these guys really panned out, but the guys that in typical Islander fashion after, you know, after a couple of years when they kind of took their dip for snow uh, and weight were fired and Lou came in and, and Barry Trotz came in that uh, by then Michael Grabner was back to being the same guy he'd been in his early years <laughs> as an Islander, but with the Rangers, which was the biggest dagger of all. And Carter yeah. Verhage was on his way to just about having an NHL career. So, um, 
yeah, it was, you know, it was just kind of a hearing about a giant trade like that in training camp, you're kind of a little bit confused. And then as the, as you're kind of tracking the guys, eventually you're just like, huh, this, uh, this whole thing seems seems very strange and and kind of low impact, but uh, but I think the goal was to just kind of throw some guys in Bridgeport, see if they could develop. And a cup, you know, Gibson did a little bit. Taylor Beck got his quick cup of coffee. I think they decided quickly he wasn't worth it. Yeah. Matt Finn fizzled out real fast, and uh, yeah. and now we can talk about Carter Verhage, who <laughs> had, a, had had some pretty good numbers in Bridgeport in his two years uh, in the Islanders organization, but spent a lot of his time in the ECHL, which yeah, you know, is pretty amazing to think about where he is now. I I kind of assumed that because, like you said before, like Verhage wasn't just an Islanders mistake. Like he was with the Lightning, they gave him some playing time. I think he was he on one of those Cup teams, I think. Um, but they ultimately let him go where he scored 42 goals with the Panthers last year. So, I mean, and obviously the Leafs had him at first. So, I mean, there's a whole bunch of people that missed on Carter Verhage to get to the point where he's at now. But I just kind of assumed that his numbers were sort of middling with the Islanders and they just didn't think much of it. But in looking back, I was like, wait a minute, he had 44 points in 75 games for the Sound Tigers. Like, that's pretty yeah. good. <laughs> and then he had uh 58 points in 36 games for the Missouri Mavericks and the ECHL that's really good like so I I don't know what the deal was like do you do you remember any I mean he wasn't around obviously but like do you remember any anybody saying anything at the team like yeah this guy's not that good like was there something yeah else I, mean, going I, on? I remember talking to Brent Thompson a little bit probably in one of the training camps uh in the subsequent year about about him because his numbers were noticeable and there was never really uh, he never got a sniff in terms of a call up or anything. And I think it was a lot of attention to detail away from the puck with him that it was, there were, there were consistent things. And I think that's kind of a theme because we had, you know, Josh Hosang in this organization for a long time. (laughs) Uh, It's a guy who had wondrous skill, but could never put the full, even, you know, you're a guy like that with that kind of creativity and Carter Verhage clearly has incredible scoring ability and has shown that at a lot of different levels. But so you don't have to be you don't have to be Patrice Bergeron without the puck. You just have to show <laughs> a semblance of of hockey IQ and know where to be. And I think it was a real struggle for Carter Verhagen. And I think he's talked about it that he doesn't really put it on anybody other than himself. That going through three organizations and you know getting whatever it was you know sixty percent of a season in Tampa with a good team, but he was a fourth liner on that team, right? Um, packed with good players, but. He never really had a big impact with the Lightning, and they let him go as a free agent. He signs in Florida, uh, immediately has an impact, basically a point per game guy in the in the in the COVID shortened season of 2021. And now he's looking in the last two years. It's a guy who's maybe the best clutch playoff scorer in the league right now. <laughs> these last two years, what has he got? Four overtime winners or something yeah, like that. Something I mean, that's, that's like a that. career. Yeah, I don't think any. I don't think any Islander in history, even the Stanley Cup teams, has four overtime winners in the playoffs. Maybe Bobby Nystrom <laughs> is close. But... Josh Bailey is. I think Bossy <laughs> might, but that's about it. I think not, I think Nystrom might have four or five, and that's really yeah. that's about it. But um, so you know, everybody, you want to blame. You know, I I was yeah. funny. I was talking to to Lou the other day doing a piece on development, such a huge topic. And I haven't written a word of it yet. Cause it's so ridiculous. I probably talked to 30 people. You get 30 different answers <laughs> on what does development mean? 
And the first thing that he said to me was, you have to accept that you're going to make mistakes. And mm-hmm. Carter Verhage was a mistake by the Islanders <laughs> and a mistake by the Lightning and a mistake right. by the Leafs. Yeah. <laughs> and here he is. And everybody wants to point the finger that like you messed this up. You guys don't know how to develop forwards. And that may be true, but I don't think you can use him as an example of right. the Islanders messed up because this guy just wasn't ready. Yeah, it's true. Yep. Yeah, it hurt. It hurt seeing him and Christopher Gibson skate yeah. around with the Stanley Cup in the in the, in the bubble. I, I I did did Gibson end up skating twice with it? I don't. I can't remember. Uh, hockey Reference is kind of funny because it does not have Gibson as a Cup winner. And I went back and looked at the bubble and Curtis McElhaney was the backup for all of those games. Yeah. So if but his had name is like that third goal, like taxi squad kind of thing going on. Right. So and I, I don't and know. He definitely, if... he definitely was on my TV with the cup. Okay. okay. Well, he was, he was in the, in the, in the non uh, COVID in the, in the COVID shortened Short, season, the one that was Not played with eventually with fans. Uh, gotcha. That was the one where he was the third goalie. So yeah, he was okay. uh, he was out there with the cup in twenty one. Not he was still Islanders property in in twenty twenty. Oh uh, okay. So there you go. Yeah, because uh, Hockey Reference does not have the little one time cup winner at the top <laughs> of the thing there. And I had, I was like, wait a minute, I thought he was there. So I was looking around. Uh, but yeah, so Verhage. Uh, by the way, before we move on from him, he, the Islanders didn't get nothing for Verhage. They <laughs> traded him to the Lightning for goaltending legend Christers Gudzlevskis. Yep. Uh, who had a pretty darn good season with the Bridgeport Sound Tigers, and then that was it. <laughs> and then he was gone too. So uh, again, uh, couldn't really turn th- that. The search for that elusive goaltending depth once again uh, becomes a problem. But like you said before, Christopher Gibson was probably meant to sort of solve that problem. You know, f- going rewinding a couple of seasons because he was drafted in the second round by the Kings, and and he did have some sort of promise with him. But he was always also an interesting story. Like you wrote a whole article about him. At the athletic, like he's got a really interesting background. Christopher Gibson doesn't sound like a guy who grew up in Finland, but he is. <laughs> and yeah. his his family is of mixed race. And so, like, it was a really interesting case and, and like, really should have been kind of a, a, a cool story. But uh, as we'll find out, he only really had moments of of uh, kind of success with the Islanders. But, uh, I mean, what, what was that writing that story like with, with him? Uh, he, you know, he, again, he's a pretty interesting dude. And, and from what I remember, pretty sharp, too. Like, he, he was very smart. Uh, when they let him talk, but uh, we didn't hear much from him, though. <laughs> all yeah. that, all that told. Yeah, his background is fascinating. His mother's yeah. Finnish, so he grew up in Finland. His father was English and opened the first kickboxing gym in mm. Finland. Uh, you know, a, a black man from the UK in Finland, probably in a kickboxing gym. There's a lot of uniqueness <laughs> to that. Sure. Met a Finnish woman. They got married and and had him. Um, so he also, you know, at first glance does not look Finnish. So you don't expect a very heavy Finnish accent from from someone who looks like him uh, and super soft spoken and nice. And, you know, I remember talking to him during uh, during the, the kind of the, the covid shutdown when uh, when the Black Lives Matter protests were coming up. And I, you know, I was just curious to hear a little bit more about his life growing up as probably one of very few kids of color in, in Finland. And um, there were some struggles for him for sure. And he felt a little bit singled out at times, but uh, you know, I, it's just, he's just had a a very interesting journey and, and kind of being a goalie, I think to him also, he, he maybe surprised some people as, as a very good youth goalie coming up wearing a mask, you suddenly take your mask off and people are, 
taken aback a little bit at who they see behind the mask, especially in a place like Finland. So, yeah, he's uh, he's a thoughtful guy and and interesting to talk to, and you know, still playing in the minors last year. I don't think he's anywhere this year, but uh, uh, he he had actually just gotten released by Dallas. He was with Dallas, and he was with oh. uh, Seattle last year, but he mo- mainly played with Coachella Valley of the AHL. So I think he's one of the rare weird Islanders we've had here that uh, is still playing <laughs> somewhere, <laughs> which is kind of weird. But uh, but he did have moments, and like you know, it, it's funny because. This is another guy who felt like he was an Islander for a lot longer than he was. Uh, he only ended up playing 16 games for them over the course of like four seasons, I think, three or four seasons. He had four wins, five losses, three overtime losses, uh, which are very modest numbers, obviously. Uh, his most games played was eight in the 2017-18 season, which, as you noted before, was completely defense optional. The poor guy, I wouldn't have put my worst enemy in goal for the Islanders that season because they were going to get lit up. No worries. No problem there. You end up with two wins. I don't know how that happened. Three losses, then two overtime losses. But uh, but what's funny is that if you look at his his career and you you know, you know search him up on YouTube or something like that, you will find these moments where he was just on one. And there was a time when he made uh, 32 saves in Washington, as you mentioned before, in 2016 got the Islanders the clinching victory they needed in overtime to make the playoffs. And I remember watching this game. I remember going into that game thinking this is a disaster. Like only the Islanders would go into a playoff clinching game with a rookie goalie in their, you know, their third string goalie in net because everybody else is hurt. Uh, But they walked out with an overtime win in a place where they don't win that often. Tavares closing in. Franz Nielsen with him. On the toe drag, not fooling Niskanen just yet. Turnover! Breakaway waltz! Kuznetsov's in. Fires! Pad save, Gibson! What a great save. That's his ninth shot of the game for Kuzi. He's had a ton of scoring chances. That's his fifth scoring chance of this hockey game. And obviously the best, a breakaway from their blue line. He kept that one simple. He chose not to deke, and the young goalie made the save. Kuznetsov gets another chance here. A button hook out of the corner. Overlapping, it's John Carlson. Carlson, who had an OT winner in New Jersey recently. Johansson steps right on in. Backhand denied. Gibson, another huge save as Hickey was hit up high. Thomas Hickey is sprinting to the bench, clutching at his face. It was pretty wild. (laughs) And then he kind of just immediately disappeared. It felt like, you know, maybe this is the start of the Chris Gibson era. And uh, that era never materialized. But, uh, that was a pretty wild one. I mean, Mike, surely you you remember this monumental game. That was Thomas yeah. Hickey in overtime. Yeah. After taking a big hit. It was a whole thing. Uh, yeah, it's it's part of that catalog, Dan, that we've talked about a bit of that that's been spoiled. Yes. Uh, by one particular player, um, mm. because that particular player on that goal, uh, I remember it perfectly, made a great play. It was mm. a, a rebound off of Braden Holpe or or like a rush and uh every the 99 times out of 100 the 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 puck being on this player's stick he that uh that puck's going right back on net um <laughs> but he made a he made a really 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 deft pass against traffic kind of like curled his stick around a couple guys and yeah. found Hickey and scored hmm. um and it was a great play and it was a type of play that you're like it made you so happy that this guy was an islander hmm. um and and now it's just ruined. Uh, yeah. But yeah, but Christopher Gibson is the story of that game, I guess, and not 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 my ill will towards 
towards uh, John Tavares. It's 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 this is about Gibson and I, he made a couple of saves in overtime. I think he stopped Kuznetsov on a breakaway in that overtime. Yes, he did. <laughs> yes, yeah. he did. Because yeah. I could re- I remember Joe Beninati being you know he I like Joe Beninati, but he, mm. he, I can't remember who what his partner's name is. He's got like Craig Lachlan. Craig the Lachlan. Worst. Beninati's yeah, good. Lachlan not so much. Yeah, a little bit of like a shrilly voice. Yes, and and. Uh, you could tell that they all just expected Kuznetsov to score on yeah. that. Yeah. And uh, he's like, Lachlan's just like, Jesus Christ, like Chris Gibson <laughs> just stopped this guy? Like, who Who is this guy? Lachlan um, sounds like the wacky neighbor on the worst Canadian sitcom you've ever seen. <laughs> it's just the worst. I hate him. I hate him. But Ben and Nottie's yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah, no, that was that was huge. That was a wild game and a wild overtime. And yeah, to have Christopher Gibson make take the win there was absurd and then they went to the playoffs and uh lost to the uh oh that was the uh no that was the panthers year never mind yes, that was 2016 yes. but then you know again he just disappears for a while and he resurfaces a couple of years later because he's been playing in bridgeport this whole time and again everybody's hurt and again he gets pressed into service and in calgary he makes 50 saves in a win 5-2 win Back they come. here's control get to bennett bennett makes the move stopped by gibson looks behind him and he's able to cover up Monahan, good play to get the puck over the line. Chases it down low with the pass out front. Great save by Gibson off Gaudreau. Wow. Johnny Gaudreau, point blank. Gibson somehow got the right pad on that one. Bouncing puck. Christopher Gibson's been very good. Here's Lee with the empty net. And he'll score as Anders Lee gets his second of the game. 33rd of the season. 50 saves. He becomes the only the second... I guess he was still a rookie, but he was he became the second rookie since Billy Smith to have 50 saves in a game for the Islanders because, again, the 72 Islanders and the 2018 Islanders both play. I had no defense whatsoever. Talking pre-Dennis <laughs> Podvan and then post everybody else, you know. Uh, but that was that was a wild one, too, that that I was just reminded of. Oh, my God, how is this possible? But And then he made 37 saves in a win over Pittsburgh a couple of weeks later. So, like, this guy had moments where you thought, man, this is going to be great. But then he always followed them up with kind of a, you know, fall apart game or he just didn't, didn't work out. So. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price. Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas city, go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You talk to him, Art. Like, I mean, was Gibson like as a as a player? I mean, was he kind of a uh, uh, kind of an optimistic guy? Did you know? Was he kind of the goalie you didn't want to talk to or couldn't talk to before a game? Or was he, you know, did he have a, a good head on his shoulders even with these kinds of like this kind of uh, inconsistency that always seemed to plague him all the time? Yeah, you know, that that stretch when he got called up, that was, I think, you know, in addition to all the other failings of that year and now how it's looked <laughs> back that, you know, um, new ownership, or then the new ownership of Scott Malkin and John Ledecky decided to keep Gar Snow and hire Doug Waite as the permanent head coach, partly in the hopes of keeping John Tavares, the constant meetings between Scott Malkin and Pat Brisson that kind of pushed Garth Snow out of the way in terms of yeah, talking about the plans for the future with Tavares, um, 
that were kind of at odds with how terrible they were after a pretty good start. And obviously they had Matthew Barzal and things were very exciting in that year at times. But by the end, by March, when they routinely just could not get out of their own way in their defensive zone, uh, Thomas Grice, who was coming off uh, a big extension that he'd gotten the year before, uh, was pretty much unusable that year uh, at an 890 <laughs> save percentage. Yara Halak, who had been demoted the previous Demote, year yeah. for a couple of months, right. uh, resurfaced as the number one goalie. Uh, and then Grice got hurt and Gibson came up. And I think Doug Waite was like, well, whatever, we'll just give this guy a try. <laughs> and if you, you think about his first five appearances that year in, in like a two-week stretch, two-and-a-half-week stretch in March, he loses in overtime uh, in Pittsburgh in a, in a 50 shot game, 47 saves, Sidney Crosby scores in overtime next five days later in Edmonton, 35 saves, uh, and one goal allowed to Connor McDavid and they lose in a shootout <laughs> a couple nights later in Calgary, 50 saves and they somehow win four <laughs> nights later. Uh, he comes in in relief and, or maybe he started that one against Washington at home and gives up five and like he got pulled. So Alex Ovechkin. And then again, faces Pittsburgh and gives up one to Sid, 36 saves. <laughs> he's all over the place. He was yeah. always, he's always a very even keel guy. I mean, I, hmm. I definitely, he was more Grice than Halak in terms of his temperament. <laughs> so, um, but I think he was just, you know, he was kind of a positive guy and he was trying to, you know, establish himself and to have to try to do it in that scenario where the, there was no structure, there was no system. It had been, no system for months in that year and then just complete failure that can, you know, we were just past the trade deadline. Tavares wasn't traded as he should have been. Um, a lot of blame to go around billboards, the whole deal. It was just <laughs> like, imagine you're, and he's 25, so he's not a complete kid, but this is right. really your first opportunity to be an NHLer, and that's what you got to deal with. Uh, I think it was a lot to ask of him oh to, God. to really establish himself. And obviously in that organization, you know, the things changed pretty drastically that summer, obviously with the front office moves and the coaching moves. And then, um, you know, he came to camp and Robin Leonard was there as, as a reclamation project and, <laughs> and Grice was still there. So he was the, you know, the pretty clear number three. And I don't know that anybody could have conceived of the year that Robin Leonard had. So suddenly it was like, here's an opportunity for him to maybe get some more games, get a little more experience. And this guy has come up from out of nowhere, literally from the, the brink of, of self-destruction to share the Jennings trophy. It was, <laughs> uh, you know, great for the organization, not so great for Christopher Gibson, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, he ended up carrying the Stanley cup around the ice a couple years later. So I guess it wasn't all bad, but, uh, <laughs> but as far as his Islanders career goes, that, that two week stretch, I just remember, mm. Uh, you know, being in the airport in Calgary the next morning and thinking like, what did I just see? I've seen some weird <laughs> games in that saddle dome over the years. Yeah. Uh, but that one, that one was one of the few positive weird ones for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was watching it on, on YouTube and I was like, oh my God, I remember watching this game and still being like, this is insane. And then it, it, I had removed it from my memory and now it's coming back. And I'm like, this was, but what's weird is that like the Islanders won five, two, but they might have not even had 25 shots in that game. Like it was just a bad goal, a bad game for whoever was in goal for the flames and, uh, and a great game for Chris Gibson. I think there was a game in San Jose too, where they like outshot by 
three to one or whatever and still won. So it was a little bit crazy. But uh, yeah, like you said, after, you know, that season, all the changes happened and, and he, I guess, wasn't brought back by the Islanders. And then he started the tour. He signed with Tampa Bay, won at least one or two cups there or as, as the backup, you know, the, the back to the backup. Uh, he signed with Florida. He had a PTO with Arizona. He signed with Seattle last year. Again, played mostly in Coachella Valley, uh, who went to the Calder Cup finals. But again, he was the third stringer. Even in the AHL, he was the third stringer because Chris, Chris Dreger and uh, Joey Decord were the, uh, the the basically the tandem back then uh, last year for Coachella Valley. And now he was apparently signed by Dallas and then released. So uh, it's been quite a, you know, quite a journey for him, but he's still out there. And, you know, you never know if he's going to pop up again. I mean, you know, it's not like the Islanders have a ton of goaltending depth. I wonder if uh, they've given him a call. Okay, <laughs> hey, man, you want to come on back to Bridgeport? We could... Uh, we could really use you. Uh, that'd be kind of funny, but yeah, uh, it is, it, it's this trade. You know, when you think about a guy getting traded for four other guys, you think, wow, that's a monumental trade. But in looking back, this was anything but a monumental trade for yeah. not just for the Islanders, <laughs> but for the Leafs too. Like, I mean, they got one season of kind of a hobbled Grabner and that was it. Right. So it's not like anybody made out on this deal, except maybe Carter Verhage five years later. Like, it's just kind of a weird, I guess, Chris Gibson, maybe, but it's just a funny trade that, you know, these, these, Six people were moved in this one deal, and nobody made out better afterwards. <laughs> like, it just, <laughs> yeah, it just should have never happened, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, like, well, could, just not not it should have. It just it just yeah. basically didn't ever happen. A six six person trade that just got sucked into the ether. Right. Well, it's funny because Taylor Beck. You know, we, we've we've covered a lot of eras in this series, but like I think Taylor Beck of a guy who's played recently i mean you know it was only six years ago i think he has the least written about him as an islander like there's literally nothing it's almost like he never existed here like he played two games and that was it he was part of this trade played two games meaningless and that was it and so it was kind of funny like kind of doing research about him and there's nothing there like there's i found one article on him that maybe he could take a spot and well he did so that was the end of that but <laughs> it's just such a rare a rare monster trade that amounted to absolutely nothing <laughs> it's just again chris gibson got a career out of it i guess he got some career highlights but uh you know part of Hagee can look back at this and be like oh yeah that's right i think it traded with three other yeah. guys nobody else and, and beck um uh, i i do remember beck wore the he wore number 56 uh hmm. so so that is is not a number that uh we talked on on the last islanders anxiety about how the number 16 has been cursed hmm. uh 56 uh there are some luminaries, uh, <laughs> including Dustin Cohn, John John Person. Uh, oh, yeah, Person, who, who I had, sure. Yeah, I had some pretty high hopes for him. Uh, obviously, uh, welcome back, Taylor Fritz or Tanner Fritz. Oh wow! Uh, and uh, Big A, Double A, uh, AHL's AHL leading goal scorer last year, Andy mm. Andrioff apparently wore number fifty six. I don't believe that at all. <laughs> uh, and. And uh, William Duf- William Defour, and I don't think I believe that either. So hockey reference looks like it's it's misleading me here. Didn't Defour wear number fourteen last year? Um, so maybe they're counting preseason games. But Andrioff did he he did not wear number fifty six. That had to be preseason, I guess. Yeah, this is this yeah, is all all, so. all jacked up. But um, right. yeah, so like Dustin Cohn, <laughs> it's it's really really a a tough group of players that uh, Taylor Beck is fighting for here. He actually might be the best. <laughs> uh, of, of all all people who wore 56 he, he didn't he didn't do anything good but he didn't really do anything bad either so yeah. congratulations taylor beck uh I'll, t- <laughs> I'll tell i'll tell a quick 
personal anecdote sure. that, that was part of this trade. Um, at the end of that 14-15 season, Grabner only played a few of those uh, playoff games in the first round series against Washington because he was clearly hurt. And he had given an interview to an Austrian, uh, maybe to the Austrian version of NHL.com, um, where he said in uh, German that he needed surgery. And I remember someone sent it to me or I found it, did a Google search. So I went to Garth Snow and I said, is this true? And he kind of gave me a look that said, I think so, but what the heck is he doing telling anybody? We're in the middle of the playoffs. Hmm. Uh, so I wrote something about it, obviously because it seemed relevant. And at breakup day, uh, Michael Grabner confronted me and said, why did you do that? And I said, well, it's not like I found out about it secretly. Like it was in, it was in a news report <laughs> right. elsewhere, just in a different language. Like, at, you know, we can translate these things. Sure. And I wasn't trying to be condescending. I was just kind of explaining, like, this was already out there. I was just sort of taking something that had been out there already. And uh, we got into it a little bit, which, you know, has happened lots of times and agree to disagree. And he leaves for the off season and we come back in training camp and he's not happy to see me and we haven't talked very much and then he gets traded and i remember going to toronto uh with the islanders that that uh 15 16 season and his locker was right next to pa parentos that was pa parentos <laughs> one year in toronto. and pa is a longtime favorite of mine a terrific guy and i should add now many years later i love michael grabner too he did co-hosted episodes of yes. uh, No Sleep Till Brooklyn. Um, you know, he's he's a fantastic dude. We just had, we were not seeing eye to eye then. So it's midway through the year, the next year, and uh, the Islanders are doing well. The Leafs are not doing that well. And I'm going to the Leafs room, as, as you do when you're up there, and talk to PA a little bit. And Grabner came off the ice and sat down. And uh, I think PA said, like, oh, look, it's Staple. And Grabner just kind of looked me up and down. And I was like, big deal and walked away <laughs> and so i was like well i guess and then pa just kind of gave me a look like what's going on there right. I was like, it's, a, it's a long story apparently he's not over it yet several months later wow um and then you know he gets he leaves the leafs and signs with the rangers right. completely resurrects his career and as happens a lot of the time he was having a terrible time in toronto i think they were a bad team he wasn't producing at all i think it was in his head and he becomes a much better player with the Rangers. I end up doing a little bit of coverage during the playoffs. Great to talk to him. I remember catching up with him uh, when he came through with Arizona. And then when he retired, became, you know, we text occasionally, talk about hockey, whatever, talk about family. Uh, so, you know, you, you go through these phases with guys that you cover when things are not going well for them, whether they're, they're not thrilled to see you or talk to you. And then when things are going better, uh, things are better. Um, so it was, uh, it was a funny, I just remember that encounter in the Leafs locker room. That was like, well, I guess I did something wrong here, but, uh, <laughs> but it's not oh. the first time it's happened. And I'm sure, uh, if Grabs and I were talking about it, I don't know if we ever did talk about it, but mm. it, clearly it's something that's in the past. And that was kind of a, uh, a low point in my relationship with him. Not that that was the high priority at the time, but it was probably a low point for him professionally too. And mm. uh, what a weird situation to resurrect it with the Rangers. He was one of their, one of their, I think it was him and Mika Zibanejad that basically carried them through that 2017 playoffs. He scored four goals for them that year. He, he was scoring on breakaways, doing all the things that people used to get so upset with him about not doing uh, in his later years with the Islanders. And I believe he is the only NHL player to have 
two 20 goal seasons with both the Islanders and Rangers, which huh. I don't, I don't think is going to be an, a record or an achievement that's ever going to be duplicated. <laughs> so that'll yeah. be his, that'll be his, his New York hockey legacy that he is the, he has he had the best multiple seasons with each team. Wow. How about that? I didn't know that. Was that, that was, that was the, uh, the series where Chris Kreider uh, ran to uh, carry Price, Chris right? Price, no, they, no, they, no they... that was that was a couple. Of, that was the when the Rangers were on their way to the finals. He yeah. did, right. so that was a couple of years earlier. Uh. They they just beat the Canadians <laughs> in the first round and yeah. then lost to the Senators, which right know, that and it, yeah, JG Pajot, the JG Pajot series, right. yeah, yeah, right, okay, four goal JG Pajot, four goal game. Yeah. That was yeah. man, <laughs> what a hero, man. It all comes back around. So funny that now he's an Islander. How about that? And yeah. now you are back with the Islanders. And that is the perfect <laughs> way to get, wrap this whole thing up with that fantastic story. Uh, so, again, by the time this comes out, you may not be on this beat anymore. And <laughs> you may you may be back covering the Rangers. Maybe somebody else is covering the Islanders. But, uh, I mean, it. I, I guess it's you live in this and have, and you might go back to this sort of netherworld where you cover the Rangers. but you're still so well known to Islanders fans. Like, how, how do they, how have they treated you, sort of, uh, since you've gone to the Rangers, and and how have Rangers fans treated you since you know you've covered the Islanders for so long? I mean, we're we're all listen, we're all assholes. Like, we all get it. But like, hopefully, it's been a smoother ride as it could possibly be for you. Um, you know, it, I I think after almost ten years of covering the Islanders, um. You find your level, you know. You find the people that you like to you like to interact with. Right. Um, you kind of weed out the people that are that are you know knee jerk critical or just kind of want to fight uh, about your coverage and try not to take it personally, which took me a long time to to be able to do. And um, you know, making the transition to the athletic six years ago uh, and bringing essentially bringing the audience that I liked that liked mm-hmm. me. Uh, over there to kind of build the Islanders fan base subscriber base there was great. You know, it's like any place, once it starts to grow, you get, you get commenters that are not your in, in your inner circle and, you know, people want to argue or whatever, it's fine. Um, but it, uh, it definitely, you know, you, I think over the years I kind of curated uh, a, gr- a pretty decent sized group of Islander fans who are insane because it's just the <laughs> default setting, but also endearing. And it's, you know, as I mentioned, kind of at the top, it's just a very different environment being around the Islanders versus being around the Rangers, um, you know, and also coming into the Rangers during a year when the locker room wasn't open, um, a year when our Rick Carpinello, kind of our original Rangers writer, retired a couple months into the season. So I'm inheriting his audience and his mm. style of doing things which is very different than mine, uh, even though he's been a mentor and a friend to me for, you know, almost 30 years. Mm. Um, you know, and the Rangers have a very established group of media. Uh, they run it. They they have a different kind of ship that they run there. Um, so it's just different. And it's a very different fan base. There's a lot of there's a lot of, uh, I think, Ranger fans and I'm sure Islander fans would say it's unearned, but there's a lot of confidence in <laughs> uh, the interactions that they have with some of the writers and mm. some of the feelings they have about the team where I think the Islander fans on the whole are happy to have coverage as opposed to <laughs> being more critical of the coverage they get. It's not yeah. universal, but it's just, that's just sort of the the tendency, the way that I see it. So, mm. um, 
you know, and it's, it's been good. You know, I had a, I went from consecutive Islander conference final runs to a Ranger conference final run. And um, I've covered a lot more success in the last few years between both teams than I think I ever thought I would see. Mm. Um, Cause I started out my hockey writing career at Newsday in 2001 with three of the worst, most overpaid <laughs> Ranger teams in the history of the NHL. Um, so, you know, it's been, it's been an interesting transition and it's, I always said, covering the Islanders when they started to get good, just kind of as the, as the Rangers were ending their, their kind of run of division and conference dominance for that three or four year span between 2012 and 2016, that it would be so good if they were both good at the same time. And I think Mm -hmm. we're close now. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think that they're both elite where they're, you know, they're going to meet in the first or second round, but um, it's nice. It's, it, it feels like the rivalry is kind of, even, um, you know, I've got a story that I'm working on that's going to come out Thursday on the the longtime friendship between Ilya Sorokin and Igor Shosturkin, who, you know, I've been wanting to do it for a long time. But now that I have have to bounce sure. back and forth, it was great to talk to both guys. They they're super close friends. I think it's fascinating that two of the best goalies in the league who played for rival teams in the KHL are again playing for rival teams here. <laughs> and. You know, they're two guys that train together in the summer down in Florida. Mm. Um, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of you you know, a lot of intertwining with teams that are that close, and especially guys, the core guys on both teams that have been around a long time. That, that you don't really see not as much hatred just because they haven't played in the playoffs. So right. um, it feels like the Islanders' main rivals and the Rangers' main rivals are maybe similar teams, but they are not each other right now. And I would love for it to get back to that level of, (laughs) of hatred, but, uh, but I think I'll be doing this for a while. You know, I I don't know, I don't know how happy fans of either team will be, but this is the reality (laughs) that, that we live in now, uh, as the athletic kind of transitions to a different phase of, of hockey coverage where we're not quite as intense on the day-to-day side of things. Um, Mm. but it's been fun. It's been, you know, to sit down with, with Matthew Barzal again, who I've I've always liked talking to over the years since he came in as a you know he was a 19 year old way back in the day and he has a lot of interesting things to say and you just sort of miss it or you know mm-hmm. catching up with guys who had none or you know one kid or two kids a few years ago and now have three or um, <laughs> it's just it life it's kind of you know it's like seeing some old friends again so it uh, that part is nice and I think there's a lot of good guys in the Rangers room too. Um, a lot of funny guys and uh it's uh it's good it's good to be able to bounce back and forth they don't get quite as sick of you if you're if you're not there for a couple of days yeah <laughs> i can imagine well well i can tell you that we are happy that you are back covering the islanders that much is for sure and the hell with everybody else because we love having you cover <laughs> the islanders and we hope it continues for a very long time uh not that everybody doesn't know already but where can everybody find your work obviously at athletic but What's your Twitter account in case anybody had unfollowed you when you started covering the Rangers? <laughs> uh, still Stape Athletic on Twitter, whatever it's called these days. I am on uh, Blue Sky. It's Art Stape uh, dot B Sky or whatever it is. Uh, I don't even know what the what the handles are there. Weird, I'm yeah. <laughs> doing my best to post on there. It's not quite as <laughs> no, not quite as not quite as combative or exciting as as even the dismantled Twitter is, but. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, they're basically the athletic. If you know, we have yeah. cheap signups, probably worth it for you know as much Islanders coverage as I can give. And uh, 
Rangers coverage. Always welcome to have Islander fans come in the comments and stir stir stuff up. So yes, and uh, if everybody wants to sign up, go for it. Do it. Uh, just be prepared for lots and lots and lots of Leafs coverage as well. So you can handle it. <laughs> Definitely go for it. You also get art on top of that. So it's it's a great deal. Uh, but we thank you so much for coming on. It's always a pleasure to have you on, and we will get you on again at some point so we can talk about the man we have completely forgotten about in this entire conversation. The man who the Islanders received in trade for Taylor Beck, Mark Andre Cliche. There you go, <laughs> <laughs> defenseman from Colorado. But uh, no, this, this is—I can't believe I completely forgot about. It. But no, this has been great, Art. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Sign up at Patreon.com/IslandersAnxiety for ad-free episodes and bonus content. Uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Our theme song is "Knuckles" by Bjorn Falk. Find more of his work on Spotify and at Bandcamp. Read Lighthouse Hockey every single day. Shop Vintage Ice Hockey. Buy wines from the Pinot Project. Michael Leboff, where can everybody find you on Twitter? Uh, the Big Lebowski with two E's. Follow Mike at The Big Lebowski. Read his work and listen to his work in Action Network. Any final thoughts on Taylor Beck, Christopher Gibson, maybe, who are these other guys? Tom Nilsson, uh, Matt Finn, Carter Verhage, uh, or Michael Grabner, and the trade that seemed like a big deal and never was. I love when it seems like the Islanders, especially back in this era, uh, when they were operating on a shoestring budget, were up to something or it looked like they were up to something, uh, whether that was with player personnel or uh, changing the col- changing the uh, the color of the dragon mascot from that was the Arena Football League team to the <laughs> Islanders colors just to save a few bucks. Um, that kind of stuff always sticks with me. And this this trade f- felt like that, like the Islanders. It, I don't know if I've ever seen a trade that looked like money laundering, uh, but this was it. Um, yeah. And and I'm I'm really happy it happened, even though it. The same time, it felt like it never did. <laughs> well put. <laughs> it's, 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 that's the only best, the best way to put it. Check out more of Fans First Sports Network at fansfirstsports.com. And uh, thanks for listening. And we will talk to you again in a few weeks with another Weird Islander. And until then, keep the Islanders weird. All right, we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.